0: CHAPTER Ten. MARIUS'S FIRST CAMPAIGN. 107 B.C. After making up his legions and auxiliary cohorts to their full strength, the consul advanced into a fertile region where there was abundance of spoil, all of which he let the soldiers have. He then attacked some fortresses and settlements that were badly situated for defense and ill-manned, and fought a number of small engagements in various places. In course of time the new recruits learnt to go fearlessly into action, for they saw that runaways were captured or killed, while the bravest stood the best chance of coming through unscathed and they soon realized that the arms they carried afforded the only means of protecting liberty, fatherland, parents, and everything else, or of winning glory and riches. Thus, in a short time, novices and veterans were welded into a homogeneous body, all of them equally courageous. As for the two African kings, directly they heard of Marius's arrival— they separated and retired into difficult country, a plan devised by Jugurtha in the hope that before long the Romans, by dividing their forces, would expose themselves to attack. For most armies are tempted by the removal of immediate danger to relax their standards of care and discipline. Metellus, meanwhile, went to Rome, where, to his surprise, he was welcomed with great joy. The feeling against him had died down, and he was now as popular with the people as with the senators. Marius acted with energy and foresight, keeping watch on his own men and on the enemy, and noting their strong and weak points, observing the king's movements, forestalling their designs and stratagems, allowing his own army no relaxation, and theirs no respite from alarm. He had, for example, inflicted several defeats on the Gaetulians and on Jugurtha, while they were driving off cattle seized from the inhabitants of the province, and not far from Certa, he forced the king's own troops to abandon their arms and flee. But when he saw that these successes merely won him credit without bringing the end of the war any nearer, he decided to invest each of the towns which, by reason of their natural strength or the number of their inhabitants, were best able to help the enemy and to hinder him. This, he thought, would either deprive Jugurtha of his power of defence, if he did not interfere, or would compel him to give battle. As to Bocas, he had several times sent word to Marius that he desired the friendship of Rome and had no intention of fighting. This may have been a ruse to enable him, by means of a surprise attack, to strike with more effect, or it may be that his natural inability to make up his mind made him thus chop and change about. The consul, in accordance with his plan, marched on various fortified towns and strongholds. Some were taken by storm, others surrendered because the garrisons took fright or were seduced by Marius's bribes. At first he contented himself with minor operations, expecting that Jugurtha would fight to protect his subjects. But when he heard that the king was far away and absorbed in other tasks, he judged that the time was ripe for bigger and harder undertakings. In the middle of a huge desert lay the important and strongly defended town of Capsa, the traditional founder of which was the Libyan Hercules. Under Jugurtha's rule, its inhabitants were exempted from taxation and well-treated. They were therefore particularly loyal to him, and the place was protected not only by its ramparts and a well-armed garrison, but still more by the difficulty of the surrounding country. For, except the immediate neighbourhood of the town, the whole district is desolate, uncultivated, waterless, and infested by deadly serpents which, like all wild animals, are made fiercer by scarcity of food and especially by thirst, which exasperates their natural malignity. Marius's mind was set on capturing this place, not only on account of its strategic importance, but also because he wanted to try his hand at what looked like a difficult enterprise.